So I'm here today with Mark Chen. He's better known as a TMK Aquarist on Instagram. And uh, pleasure to meet you, Mark. Pleasure uh, is mine, Jeff. I've been following you guys for so long, and ADG is definitely, you know, the name to look to uh, in terms of aquascaping and design. So um, I love your guys' work, being a longtime admirer. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure, man. Thanks, thanks for joining me. Very much so. Um, so, Mark, you're uh, probably best known at this point for your uh, discus planted tank, and uh, as someone who has been pursuing that style for a long, long time, uh, I got to say that any time I see someone doing it well, um, I'm I'm very impressed and also quite curious. Mm -hmm. Uh, so could you give us maybe a little background on that tank specifically? Uh, and I'm mostly, I'm really wanting to know, is that something that kind of came together by way of an intentional approach or did you just kind of follow your instincts and it worked? Yeah. So give you a little bit of background on the tank. Um, I had in mind to have like a wild discus tank um before i set that tank up so like for example the dimension right like the tank's pretty high it's 40 inches tall and then uh that specification made to you know um custom made to that size is also like it's all um basically planned to have that type of fish right and then i actually um before i wanted discus wild discus in the grotto i actually wanted something else so I wanted to go autumn or some type of South America. I, I know it, I knew it was going to be a South American setup. Sure. However, uh, during my trip to, I took an expedition with Heiko Blair to uh, Colombia. Oh, wow. Then, well, we're yeah. going to have to dive into that for sure. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And two of my uh, teammates on the expeditions were both um, huge wild discus experts. So one uh, breeds them in Denmark, and one is just a very avid collector um, of wild discus in China. So both of them were just talking nonstop about wild discus on this entire trip. And you know Heiko. Heiko is like, you oh, know, yeah. a lot of knowledge for uh, wild discus as well. Big and time. then I kind of like just got rubbed on it. And then at first I was like, no, like I'm not really into discus because uh, most of the discus I saw were uh, domestic. Uh, domestic you know strings and then i just didn't like the whole, whole array of rainbow and all that until i saw you know my friends while this because they were showing me on their phone and everything and yeah like the beauty of uh these fish just like kind of like blew my mind because i i didn't know this was a a wild type and then um i just didn't know the whole um side of things and then on that trip i decided fairly quickly that okay i'm gonna you know like set up this tank to uh you know have these wild discus only right wild discus only and then um one thing that really kind of uh i guess made me doubt my decision is that like i knew going in that it's gonna be a lot of work right to keep these these guys and then i kind of like was a little you know, wary of the difficulty, right, uh, of keeping these guys. 
So I did a ton of homework, and then uh, I knew that uh, for somebody like me who hates maintenance and water change, I will have to find a way to automate the crap out of this tank, right? And then just uh, although you know, like people were telling me, uh, like you know, there's no way you can automate a discus tank, right? Or uh, let alone a wild discus tank. And right. I was like, well, I have to try. Otherwise, you know, like it's a, uh, it's just not not sustainable you know right. for me in the few in the long run uh long story short so i was able to you know figure out a way to um pretty much aut- autonomate like 90 percent of the maintenance wow. yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so like no water change uh required on my part and then uh it's all done automatically and then what i do is like every two weeks um or or so i will just uh clean out all the mechanical filtration right like the media and then obviously i do some of the um the nutrient dosing or like you know uh mineral dosing whatever and then uh that's on a weekly basis but that takes no time at all you know like when i'm feeding the fish i'll just do that sure and then yeah so that uh, is uh, like a very work, watered down version of the story. Uh, sure. We can dive into all the details. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, that's v- very cool backstory there, and uh, I'm fascinated that just the path to sort of sorting out using discus coming by way of of all things uh, an expedition with Heiko and just kind of being totally uh, immersed in the um, the discus energy there with these other guys and everything. Yeah. Uh, very cool. It, now uh, you're also the owner of a nature design studio. I am. Okay, cool. So you do custom installation and aquarium maintenance also. Yes. Is this, a, is the discus tank a client aquarium? No, that's my own. That's your own personal tank. Yeah, I Very actually cool. wouldn't. <laughs> I actually wouldn't recommend a client. That's a topic for exploration between you yeah, and yeah, I yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, I've I've talked I've talked to quite, uh, quite a few out of it actually. Right, right. No, it is a common request, and that's that's why I was I was wondering. Um, I've certainly attempted it over the years and mm-hmm. had some go well for some oh, yeah, for some for sure. period of time, but uh, also you know, experience my share of challenges, mm-hmm. uh, both trying domestic and wilds. Um, mm. so yeah, I get it that now I was, I've actually been wondering that from the start, if, you know, when I first saw the tank, if that, cause I had known that you did installation and service, uh, you're there in Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken. I am. Right? Okay, yeah. cool. Cool. So yeah, I can imagine the inquiries that you get to do, you know, because discus planet tank is one of those. It's just, it's like a Holy grail style and sure. even people, people may not even know, uh, they may not know discus or plants or, but they know this discus planted tank somehow, you know, they may not, yeah. they're an expert in neither one, but the idea of the two of them together is something that, uh, everybody seems attracted to. So that's, that's very cool. Um, yeah, well, I'm doing my consultations with some clients, uh, like, you know, at the very first start. I actually uh, hesitant to show the, the grotto, although it's like, you know, uh, 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 like a crown jewel of my portfolio or whatever. But um, 
it just so that like the clients don't get attached to the idea of like, oh, I, I'm going to have this kind of fish. And then they marry right. to the idea and then right. you have to talk to them out of it. It's like just, um, you know, a, a disappointment. It, like a right. That, that, and that's interesting to know. I don't know that I've ever interfaced with someone else who does installation and service anyway that has that same uh, takeaway take uh, that it's challenging and not really a business model actually to do no. an aquarium like that for a client just because of the demands, the daily eye that it requires. You, yeah. The owner has to be very hands-on and uh, also that um, the maintenance required for uh, a tank like that is just uh, a lot. It is. It, it is because the two are really, and I often tell people this, that the two are not, especially compatible in from a maybe a practicality sense not that the the fish will do just just fine and the plants can do just fine to get it's not so much that it's just that what's required from the hobbyist is uh long term takes a level of dedication that i've just Absolutely. found many people either or they get into problems because they didn't make the commitment um now i have seen these scenarios where and you know this, uh, where things just fall into place and it's actually strangely not as challenging as you thought it would be. And you're kind of getting away with something uh, and you just go, well, this is cool. I'm going to ride the wave as long as I can. The problem with that, obviously, as you probably experienced and why you hedge on offering it as a service product is that that is not a predictable outcome, a thing where no. everything kind of just goes well and you're like, oh, wow. I'm not doing as much water changes as I thought. The fish are very healthy. They haven't had intestinal parasites and problems and all these kinds of things. So, and I always say that that's not a predictable outcome. Yeah, you so, can't replicate that. It's like right. a, it's like a luck type of thing that um, right. you don't know. So I didn't give the grotto to be like a successful setup on the first go, you know? It took a lot of adjustments and you know, a lot of learning, a ton of learning, especially uh, on the husbandry and, you know, like the water chemistry and all that. So yeah. uh, even now, I mean, like I'm not, I haven't perfected it um, to the point where, you know, I can replicate it anywhere. Right. So, so that's why I'm hesitant on, you know, um, re recommending it or like having a setup for my clients. Right. But then sure. once, you know, I get there where <laughs> I can replicate, like have a system rep re replicable, then yeah, obviously I've done it, right? I've done <laughs> like the, the like all, all that that's required of me to, um, to know how to keep this good perfectly. But uh, I, I feel like the sourcing, right? The sourcing of the fish to have a batch of like very healthy fish from the get-go is like, uh, more than half of the battle because sure. yeah, like just, I had, I had some, uh, uh, respited greens, uh, at first. So I had like a batch of 10 and then they were doing pretty okay. Um, I, I, you know, I dealt with some, um, parasitic issues, um, right from the start, but then, you know, my all were able to just kind of get rid of that. But then, as you know, I had a little bit of success. I'm like, all right, so let me test out some other strings, right? And then I'm like, oh, I would really want like a royal or like a semi-royal, whatever. And then I actually treat like 
traded my uh couple of my, my fish for a semi royal from a friend, and you know since he's like he's a friend and he seemed to have like all this success with the he's keeping, no quarantine and then just like straight into the tank and guess what I still have a bacterial problem today. Right, right. Is that something that you're are you doing ongoing or or periodic, uh, kind of preventative? Uh, treatments for things like that? Do you take that approach? Yeah, I have to do, I discovered that I have to, like where I want to do uh, preventative uh, treatments from time to time. So uh, one of the treatments that I do on a monthly basis, so like once a month is uh, the um, PP, right? Potassium permanganate. Potassium um, permanganate, yep, yep. Yep. Yeah, so I I do that once uh once a month. Uh, although I have like a pretty powerful UV in you know the filtration, um, it's just the bacteria count still goes up after a while, and then you 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 can tell with the fish, right? Some of them start like, for example, like my alpha would turn really dark all of a sudden, and then you'd be like, hmm, what is going on? So that uh is like an indication where. You know something's up, so you want to kind of like uh, do a preventative treatment right there. That that speaks to that daily eye because yeah. you, you, ca- you catching that straight away and having that intuition about it is uh, is just everything for long term success. I've definitely absolutely definitely agree with you I, I there. I feel like they are moody fish too, right? Because like they change color a lot, and then mm-hmm. um, and then I feel like. So, so I have some fish that are super stable, right? Some of them, after, you know, like I quarantine and then as soon as they go into the tank, they never once, you know, go black. And then like the color, color and pattern is just always on point, right? Which I find really odd because, right. you know, these fish, like they want to, sometimes they, they want to shy away from like, you know, spotlights, right? Like they want to blend into the background, and then, you know, going dark and being like, quote unquote, moody is pretty natural, actually. Sure. Right? As long as they're, you know, like hunting down their food when, uh, at feeding time and then, you know, kind of like being very active and, you know, coming in and out of like their their sh- different shades of colors, then it's quite all right. Yeah. Like, I, I don't find that to be um, alarming or anything, but then... Yeah, like these staple fish are just just so cool to have, and then there's uh, I I don't know I don't know why, but it could just be a, a individual trade type of thing. Yeah. Right. Do you see? Uh, have you had any problems with this kind of hierarchy thing that emerges? Where yeah, you've got the alpha on down to what we could just call the runt, or definitely the the least dominant fish, and even the and then you have just a clear chain of command going on where the you've got the big alpha, you've probably got its its mate, and then you've kind of got everybody else, and then there's the, there's the runt. And I'm just curious because mm-hmm. I've experienced this so many times. I'm just curious if yeah. you are too. Less so with wilds. Um, I see this more with the domestic fish, uh, with the hybrids, okay. but um, I have seen it with the wilds where there's always one guy, and they, he may be eating, he or she may be eating, and active, but you know, they're dark, they're losing weight. The eyes are starting to to bulge out. And if you were to just remove that fish and try and rehab it in another aquarium or whatever, 
remove it from the group. It goes to a different fish. It goes the to the next, the next one up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm always that, curious yeah. if that's everyone else experiences that same thing. Not a ton. Uh, of I also observe that. Yeah. Okay. So it's not a, it's something, you know, I don't spend a ton of time anymore on the, uh, you know, on the, on the different Facebook groups and, and discussion groups and this kind of thing, engaging with, with discus keepers. But I found it was a thing that was not always noted or talked about, but I, I think some of that could be because a lot of the conversation around keeping discus was based on more of the breeder, the collector, or the person that has them more isolated perhaps because you know you see mm -hmm. the the breeding operation they're in usually bare bottom tanks probably yep. a sponge filter uh spawning cone this kind of stuff uh and so a lot of the conversation has been around scenarios where we don't have them in big groups and we're not you know observing their behavior in that total group dynamic uh, exactly is, and most of keepers keep them in uh you know like a fairly medium size to small tank, right? Like they don't have like a really large setup where, you know, a group, uh, a significant or, you know, like considerable number are in a, a group that can more or less simulate their natural behavior. Right. So and I, I, I'm guessing that that sort of hierarchy situation is something that would be fairly natural to how they occur in the wild. But um, like I said, I've seen it, strangely, I've observed it less so with the hybrid fish. I don't, or I've left so with wild fish, I mean to say, mm -hmm. uh, though it's there, but it's almost as if that behavior has been exaggerated somehow with hmm. the hybrid discus just from observation, which is kind of a, it's kind of a bummer because you can have a, a group and an, everything else otherwise doing very, very well. And if that alpha decides to get to alpha, you know, <laughs> and that can happen way down the road too. Uh, sometimes the dynamics will just shift maybe just after a water change or almost out of the blue. And you'll have all of a sudden, or when they decide to pair up and spawn, mm -hmm. you'll get that, yep. that pair in the corner and they've just got everybody else backed off dark Intimidated. Yeah, they take up like 80% of the tank and yeah, the rest right. of the group <laughs> takes yeah. up like 20. Have you had any of that dynamic emerge in your setup with the pairing? and then Not the, the, really. Uh, I haven't really seen any spawning behavior uh, from my discus. And uh, I think that's due to maybe the lack of um, life food, right? So, sure. uh, yeah. And Because I just been doing um, dry food. Okay, uh, good most, though. I think that's yeah. I I'm a proponent to, of that if you, you know just to avoid the problem potential problem that it, it, it could carry. And then right. I'm personally less interested in the breeding and spawning um, sure. behavior anyhow, so uh it's cool for me to observe and I love seeing that, but then it's just like it's not like a goal for me, right? In, and I don't I think it it's if you have a group situation in an aquarium that is there for uh you know decorative design enjoyment of the total underwater scene unfortunately with a group of discus it leads to a lot of stress for the other fish other than the pair oh uh, uh, yeah I, i've had situations where the last discus planet tank that i attempted uh was just last year and i say attempted because i i did throw in the towel 
probably okay. I might have I might have bailed on it too early, but I've I've done it enough times to kind of see the writing on the wall. But mm. uh, I had, uh, and it was it was hybrid fish, but I had three pairs going at once. Um, mm. So that was a total of six of the ten fish I had in there were uh, all spawning simultaneously, all fighting oh, wow. each of the pairs, sort of fighting with each other for space and for, mm. and it was just, it was just, it was really chaotic. How big um, was the tank? The tank was a, was a 180 centimeters. So, you know, approximately okay. 180 gallons. So gotcha. in my view, not big enough. I I've written, and yeah. I knew it going in and I said, well, you know, let me, I'm going to try it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work with smaller fish, kind of what I call a kind of an adolescent size fish that kind of okay three ish, four inch sort of fish. Well, what ended up happening was, um, I got sent adults like huge, adu- and it was just a miscommunication <laughs> in the ordering. Okay. And, um, so these were really large fish that were just a little cramped in that layout mm. anyway. So it was, it was already a little going off the rails, but, um, it was, literally three sets of, I mean, they were content enough to be pairing up and, and there was three batches of eggs in three different locations in wow. the aquarium. That is which so cool, was, though. It was cool, except, you know, one, it was the first thing you see when you walk in the door at mm-hmm. the gallery, the aquarium design store. Uh, and that's just, that becomes too high traffic and even mm-hmm. kids coming in this guy, very unpractical for that situation too. Got uh, it. Which despite the stress that you would think the fish would have from all the activity, they were still spawning, et cetera. But then they got very skittish. Anyway, it was just a problem ongoing, but um, yeah, yeah, it's something that you is cool for a minute, but in the group dynamic, actually the, the spawning can be something that creates a little chaos down the line there with the group. And I, though I do see, I experienced the same with wilds, less uh, tendency to, to pair up and spawn probably just because it's a wild fish and they're going to be more in tune with the, uh, natural, yeah, the, rhythm, the natural rhythms of nature yeah. that would make them sp- induce spawning. And like the hybrid fish that are generations, a hundred generations deep spawning in a bare bottom aquarium with a sponge filter yeah. in the corner. Right. You know? Yeah. So, uh, what are you feeding primarily? That's always a big question people have. Yeah. I feed them, uh, tropical, um, fish food. Right, so like they have a couple of product that I'm doing uh, feeding them right now, like the the different type of granules and the um, the flakes. So I find this uh, one particular product from them very enticing to the fish. It's the soft granules, and then okay. yeah, the soft granules they really go after those, and then wow. even the pickier ones. So I think is. Mm, Maybe the texture of the food and then just how oily it is could be, it could sure. be that and then that the fish like you know uh, find it very palatable. Uh, there's like a very like a specific granule that's made for wild discus that has a lot of uh, fruit ingredients, right? So like uh, in the wild they chew or like eat on like rotten or overripe food fruit, right? That's floating um on top of the surface whatnot so uh i I think that's a pretty good um i I guess variety of uh nutrients that they they can take and that's been keeping them pretty healthy and then also i'm feeding this one uh new food 
that's uh called legit <laughs> have you heard oh, legit. of it yeah, yeah. mike Dobie's so, stuff yeah yeah no, yeah, we, yeah yeah so you know, we're, we I, we feed it too i as a big big fan big fan yeah it's and this food. is really like that as well so i'm okay. just you know trying to diversify some of the these um you know um different type type of food that they can they can get on a daily basis sure and i'm sure you find that and it's it's such a normal thing to you want them to eat so bad that i don't discus eating is one of the most uh fulfilling aquarium experiences to me like just i don't know just because maybe i have a sense that they might be challenging or they they can be finicky and there's just such a feeling of uh satisfaction <laughs> to see I, discus. I have to concur yeah it's um seeing them eat is very different from seeing other fish eat because just right. because you don't want to see them not eat right, right. and then that and and that happens right. uh from time to time and that is like the sense of just the sense of relief that they're eating right. well is like all right <laughs> they're, they're, they're pretty healthy yeah so that, that just that alone is very satisfying and then um i used to for a while i used to feed them live black worms and right. then they turn into just little piranhas like going like go after the worms like very viciously and then not the you know the usual type of like just grazing on the bottom right. and whatnot yeah they like hunter you know <laughs> mode and that's pretty cool to see as well and it's just like you, you you realize oh they're they're actually a pretty powerful fish right like the whole body is like a disc of muscle and then it's just true like, to get, get the worms and stuff yeah did you have any problems having done fed them black worms with them getting spoiled and not wanting to eat dry oh, food that's why I, that's the main reason why i stopped and also yeah. you know the disease prevention uh aspect of it but then sure. yeah like once they um they you know get fed with black worm like uh, a few times then they're like they'll lose interest in other food uh quite a bit but then is that's not to say that they will just stop eating other food completely and then um they do some of them do lose interest and then it's pretty hard for them to come back to eating um you know dry food again but it depends on the fish as well and it depends on you know the fish health so super healthy discus will will be pretty actually not picky in terms of eating those whatever you offer if they're very healthy uh, uh the ones that like you know it depends on the personality as well like the a fish might be healthy but then you know they just uh are a little more picky on the food then like once they taste the worm they're like no i'm not going back to the dry food sure so it, it, that could happen too yeah it's good good to hear you haven't gotten them spoiled or yourself spoiled on the on feeding uh bloodworms frozen bloodworms I think Hikari frozen, frozen bloodworms is just one of those long withstanding go-to foods that I I think long-term can be problematic. Um, I don't, I, just from observation. Yeah, I, I tried. I tried to, you know, mix in some of the frozen food every once in a while, right? Because um, they do need it. But then the thing I find is that like every time I do, it, it could be, this is like, pretty unfounded right like it's just 
from like my observation or uh, like my suspicion, right? Like yeah. every time I feed frozen food, right? And then right after I'll see some problem with the fish. Like they, they will be doing pretty good. And I'm like pretty confident. I'm like, all right, um, I think they need some frozen food. Try some frozen food. Something happens like the fish will go dark or like, you know, some like the, their body, like they'll, 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 uh, sometimes they have pimples, right? And then the, a pimple will pop up. And then it's just, I'm like, nah, it's not worth it. Like these uh, dry food like seem to be doing pretty good job like so far. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like we always want to like have them be even healthier, right? Like, yes. like oh, it's not enough. Like let's be even healthier. So, um, yeah, just during those times that like kind of I got discouraged uh, from um, trying frozen food um so we'll see we'll see I'll, I'll 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 keep trying but until i find the right one i'll just be very sparse with the the frozen food feeding is know. is as far as that that primary softer granule that you were referring to and you made a very uh i think often overlooked observation about the uh them grazing on the fruits and this kind of thing in the wild. Um, is that a brand of food that you would care to share with us? Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's called Tropical. The The brand's called oh. Tropical. Okay, cool. Tropical. Tropical brand, and this is just a, is it a discus-specific marketing? On no, the they're, a, they're a huge brand in Europe. And then, okay. um, yeah, only, I think only Fish Gallery carries them. Uh, I mean, like, I think some other stores will carry them too, but then Fish Gallery is the main distributor for the U.S. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. They're actually a distributor for it. Didn't know. They're right here in my own backyard. I should probably yeah. uh, get, in, get in on that. <laughs> uh, so it sounds like a great food. And, it, and I think anything that obviously gives a nod to more of the natural diet, which discus, you know, because I think of the blood worm situation over the decades yeah. now, there's yeah. a notion that that's, that, that, that a more protein diet is sort of foundational to discus. And I, and what I've always heard is that they're quite the grazers and reasonably omnivorous. And um, if you look at the size of their mouth, you know, a, a, a carnivore, it doesn't make any sense, right? They have a it mouth. It doesn't make sense at all. And uh, and in the wild, like you, you, you struggle to kind of like even imagine how they will get so much protein, right? In their natural diet. Uh, I mean, like, yes, from maybe worms, right, in the water and then uh, insect larvae. But, yeah, it's the, they're just not the type of fish that, to me, you know, would, like, you know, hunt down, like, a lot of protein intake. And then, plus, like, when from the, you know, di dissection or, or, like, autopsy of, like, these wild fish, right? Like, they do find all kinds of stuff. And most of their gut content is actually just detritus right yeah so Very, yeah just the opposite of what we would think you know exactly yeah, because so we're just graze a lot and then like there, there's some fruit contents and definitely you know there's some protein contents as well but then um i, I just think like the reason why we resort to like these high protein uh diet for these guys is you know um early in the days when they were trying to keep these fish alive you know they just basically we're throwing everything at them to see what, what sticks. 
and it just right. so happens you know the high protein diet kind of stick and then proved to be you know rather successful than <laughs> like than the natural right and then right. yeah to replicate their natural diet is going to be very difficult so sure like yeah because it kind of goes against our notion of you know the the pers- the, the high water quality uh the the environment where there where we could have biofilms and detritus in the yeah. aquarium obviously could speak to a little bit of, you know that's an interesting point and at, you know as i go in any kind of exploration or research year after year after year about discus in an aquarium all these little subtleties emerge as to what makes them or what gives them a notion of being challenging and um because sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't you know and i've just seen it all in different Oh yeah. Different setups and different people's layouts and stuff. So, but I think a lot of it is, yeah, the, just the, it's a fish that evolved with a, there is a lot of nuance in its uh, natural environment. And it seems that like pristine water quality and lots of detritus, <laughs> the this, these are at odds with one another. So it becomes a yeah. challenging thing to, to kind of crack the code on that balance of what they're going to want in an aquarium. Uh, yeah, I think um, so. In their natural body of water, there's uh, a lot of tannin, and then there's a lot of uh, uh, you know tannic acid and all, all that organic um, substance in the water. That is a natural antibody, right? And then uh, or antibacterial for for these fish, and then. You know, just the volume that's moved, uh, moving in their natural setting would uh, kind of prevent them from getting bacterial infections, right? Right. But then in our home aquaria, uh, unless you're actively adding these tenants and then um, adding these substances, they just don't have that. Like, they just don't have the, you know, the antibacterial, um, I guess element right in the water and then so with that said you really want to control your bio uh you know bacteria counts and then yeah like keeping these wild discus is like sometimes a little discouraging just because you're like oh man like i i thought i figured it out but no well there's something else right and then uh you you know sumer like he visit like you guys uh, oh yeah yeah days ago yeah so he uh i saw a post like story uh, on instagram of his right and that he was saying that like oh like he took a vacation and then um and then when he come back he had to deal with all these issues with the discus right like to me i was like okay great because this guys are like still having problems so like you know it made me feel a little better about my own fish uh discus keeping yeah so it just goes to show that these guys um the the, the discus are not fish that are just um you're able to automate everything you you have to be very hands-on yeah right and even like you say that's a great point and i think it's a good point to emphasize for people who feel like when they see these fluctuations in color and temperament and all this that it's it's not you it's not anything you did wrong it's not you know that this is part of the deal and um that's nothing to blame yourself about, you know, necessarily. Cause right. I've seen a lot of that too. I've suffered that thinking that you know, it was some kind of neglect on my part or, um, 
And I, th I think that the psychological side yeah. of it might be more the reason that makes them challenging than the actual challenges of the fish themselves. I agree. You, I agree. How you yeah. process the challenge. Yeah. But I do think that, you know, um, if we can even keep corals, right? If we can even keep coral reef and like have, you know, uh, all kinds of chemistry, water chemistry down to like the science, right? Then there's not a whole lot of reason why, like, you know, there's, like it can be a very systematic approach to discus keeping but at the same time you know like coral is like a huge industry that you know like a lot of money uh, went into it in terms of research and all that right like in terms of like you know the uh, innovation in equipment and um all the science behind it so i guess i guess there's just not that much money going in, going into you know discus research and whatnot so Good that's point. why we, we don't have it. So I'm pretty sure there's a way to, you know, perfect it, right? And then have like a very successful, like a almost like a kit, right? That you just have like all the, um, you know, um, water chemistry and uh, the the minerals needed for them to dial down to the T, and then you just you know dose accordingly, and you have like a good result. I, I think that sh shouldn't be like impossible at all and then it's just yeah a matter of um you know investment maybe maybe that's something maybe that's something uh you and i could potentially collaborate on in some kind of way because uh you've definitely gained a lot of unique insights and i, I think you've got a very similar approach in that you tr you go a lot on your just observation and that kind of experience you get from looking at the aquarium in a certain kind of way and so, cause way back in 2003, um, I did really my first serious discus planted tank and it was for a client who mm -hmm. it was, you know, this was, uh, ADG is like three years old at this point and we're just ambitious and going to try anything. No, no fear. Um, no, zero. And, um, so I devised what I felt like, I felt pretty strongly that, um, I had a formula in terms of the layout style uh, that could really possibly be something replicatable or scalable or like a, a core formula for a discus planted tank specifically. Um, and so very willing, very patient uh, client and uh, large aquarium. Is, it was uh, 375 gallons. So, you know, it was, there was only going to be, I think eight fish in there total. You know, it wasn't mm. a huge group. Uh, this kind of thing. So anyway, the, the formula and I've done it to this day and it, and it, it seems, it seems to work in terms of a layout or compositional formula. I'm, I'm curious your, your thoughts on it. Um, and so definitely large, let's just say larger aquarium with, you know, fewer, fewer fish is, is kind of a thing. Um, but as far as plants, um, I would choose exclusively Echinodorus uh, because one, we could, uh, they would grow well without a soil substrate. Um, they're pretty happy and just an inert type of material. Uh, that aquarium used just fluorite, sea chem fluorite back in the day. So mm -hmm. I was sticking with the Conodorus because of course they're going to, they're going to present well in a large aquarium and they're going to give a sort of if the if the fish do want to scatter or get spooked and want to retreat into the plants you know there's kind of that thicker that dense leaf coverage they can get back mm -hmm. in between them very easily 
Um, so that, that there was sort of that element to the plants. Yeah. Furthermore, I found Econodorus to be much warmer water tolerant. Mm. Um, so they, it's just a, especially if you, let's say, do mostly Amazon sword, uh, which is just, you know, a classic, very hardy, difficult plant to actually kill. <laughs> um, right. You know, it may not grow like you want it to, but it's not going to die and melt very easily. Um, so you're using that and then you're kind of texturing that with other Econodorus species. Um, and so they're handling the warmer water, which is something else we, we can deal with as kind of just a side note on the, the, the temperature question, because I do find most aquatic plants do better, let's just say, in cooler water. They really don't mm-hmm. want the water heated, which is one of the reasons why the why discus and plants can be somewhat at odds, especially if you get into a lot of mosses and uh, these plants that really, again, won't die in warm water, but aren't big fans of it. Um, mm-hmm. Not going to give you the, the kind of idealized growth you're seeking. So- yeah. For those reasons, I would choose. I was choosing just Echinodorus, uh, more minimal on the hardscape. Uh, definitely nothing with fine branches or too many points. You know that kind of mm. thing, just to avoid scratching, etc. So yeah. more open, but using the Echinodorus for kind of the density in the background, and that would allow me to have a an open foreground. Definitely a a, a sand or open foreground, um, because in this way too, you know, as you know, they'll like to graze on the bottom. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, I think you can train fish to discus even to come up and I've seen yours do it in many clips uh, where they're, they're at the top, they're having a feeding response, et cetera. But yeah. the, the possibility of, you know, maybe even in some layouts, turning off the filters for just for feeding and letting the food settle on the bottom and allowing the discus to go down there and kind of blow in the sand and, and graze yeah. it like they will. So definitely an open foreground. Open foregrounds can also be uh, cleaned very easily. You can siphon the sand sure. out and replace it even. Rather. So, and when you siphon foreground or cosmetic sand from a planted tank, even if it looks fairly clean, I'm sure you've seen this, you get it in the bucket, that water is really dirty. It's filthy. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a very much a dirt trap that being able to, you know, keep that turned over and removed as opposed to having, uh, I'm sure you see these layouts of discus plant tanks on YouTube and whatnot, and they've got a full carpet in the front and, you know, a lot of things I'm kind of going, mm, I'm not sure how that's going to do long-term, but, mm. um, so the open foreground, again, Echinodorus more minimal on the hardscape or just avoiding, uh, potentially scratching surfaces, open foreground, um, was, something that I kind of developed and I felt like it was sort of formula. I even had named that aquarium, which was entered in the ADA contest back in 2003 oh, yeah? or whatever. Oh. Uh, I called it Heiko's lesson uh, because I was trying to create conditions super favorable to discus. Um, mm-hmm. And so Heiko, he really signed off on it. He actually featured it in his, one of his discus books um, mm. at one point. And then, the layout did well that year. This is a long time ago. It would absolutely flop today, I'm sure, but uh, in the, in, in the uh, ADA contest. And so, you know, and then in the coming years, I was able to meet Mr. Amano, be ADH, ADH distributor, et cetera. So had the, the unique privilege of Mr. Amano telling me himself that he was like, now, wait a minute, this is a, you've got a real formula for discus planted tank here. 
um, mm. that again was for me the I wanted because well I had already tried a client installation um, mm. in a law firm in downtown Houston in a you know it's just on the fifty second floor of a big downtown skyscraper. Yeah, this was an a, an an six uh, hundred gallon aquarium that divided their two big conference rooms. And mm. so it was just being viewed all the time. I mean, and the demands nice. to keep it really pristine were extreme. And that's where I, that's where for I really sure. learned like this, that kind of aquarium was not super practical for yeah. um, client installation because I would spend yeah, yeah, yeah. special security access on weekends to get in the bill. I'd be there for eight hours on a Saturday, you know, wow. be- because I had used so many, um, it was densely planted, though no foreground, but I had a lot of crypts. I had a lot of different uh, huge, I just call them pom-poms of like uh, Windelov, Java Fern, and uh, Anubias, and plants that, one, were trapping a lot of debris over time, which swords really won't do. If you, you get a big mound of uh, Java Fern uh, over you know a long period of time, you know, you get your hand and wave it around in there pretty good. And, oh, yeah. And if you're, in a big tank, if your flow's not right, there's a lot of junk coming out of there, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, and then I found that that uh, Java ferns too, while they'll tolerate warmer water like the discus tended to want, um, they don't love it. In other words, you tend to get a little, I call it crunchy. They get kind of a crunchy look to them. Uh, they're not just that kind of vibrant green sort of pristine thing I was going for. And I was always struggling with that. Um, and so that's what kind of gave me the idea to go with the Echinodorus model, which the overwhelming majority are, are from, you know, central South America anyway. So there's a little bit of a nod to not using Southeast Asian species mm-hmm. um, and sticking with the, uh, so anyway, I'm just, um, I think it could be so cool to do some kind of collaborative formula development or something that, because you've mentioned several things that I've been like, wow, okay, the, I hadn't thought of that, or you're onto some great foods, and you have a real deep understanding of that element. Um, but something that gives people a, a real template or a formula that tends to up their likelihood of success with it. Anyway, I didn't mean to be long-winded about that. Oh, no, no, no worries. Yeah, it's very but, cool to uh, hear the insight. Yeah, and it's, it's something that goes way back that I've had done many times since then, and at least as far as that core formula, um, you know, it's always worked, but it's more the natural behaviors of the fish that became, oh, I don't know if I'd call it issues, but, you know, if there was something I would call an issue, it was, mm-hmm. you know, the hierarchy, the the spawning behaviors. It was more, it was really the result of the fish becoming quite happy in the, in yeah. the layout. And then, and then, you know, variables emerging that uh, created an issue unto themselves. Many of which I, f- I feel like you've kind of got getting a handle on. Oh, Heiko's given me a lot of grief about having, you know, the tank uh, view- viewable from two sides, right? Like it's a, the grotto is a room divider. And then he's like, no, you, you got to have one viewing only. And then, yeah, he gave me a lot of uh, grief on that. But then um, he definitely knows his stuff and then i think like you know ideal situation where you know like if you are absolutely just gunning for discus right and then especially wild discus and then like the setup is entirely devoted for just that then absolutely 
you know, you want to have like just one viewing and then have like um, what you what basically what you just mentioned, right? Having like a, a, a place of um, refuge, I guess, that they can like, you know, go high into and then um, the hardscapes. I, I do find the hardscapes um, could be... That's debatable, I feel like, in my opinion, just because, yes, they would hurt themselves if they, like, start, you know, like, being skittish and dashing every which direction. However, if um, if they, I mean, like, in my experience with my discus, like, the only time they will be skittish and just, like, freak out, right, is um, when, they're, when, when they're having a health issue. Okay. Yeah, That's, so when, I've heard that before. That's a good Yeah, point. so when yeah. they're when when they're having a healthy issue, especially uh when the water is not right, you know, like uh I had I had a mini ammonia spike uh this one time and then uh in like right away like they become like super skittish. And then okay. so yeah, like besides that, you know, like my daughter, she's 6 now, but then you know, I had the tank for like 3 years. So she's you know go go up and bang on the glass and the fish don't even they're, they're not even phased. Um so in terms of like the hardscape, I feel like um if you have um a, a not the entire tank obviously, but like one place where you know, you have some dense uh, branches and like fine branches and whatnot it can actually provide that sense of um you know the refuge more like e- even more so for these guys when they know that okay that's the place they, they will retrieve to when sure. they, they don't feel comfortable and whatnot but then yes they would you know have the risk of getting scratched and um uh, yeah, but then I feel like uh, a little scratch here and there is not like a huge deal. Obviously, that's my just personal. No, opinion. I'm with you on that as far as if you look at where a lot of them, you know, when I've seen natural habitats and biotopes and stuff, it's there's there can be some very dense yep. know, tangles of wood and things like that. That's definitely yep. not a, an, an open occasion. Yep. Uh, so I, and and it, yeah, especially. Yeah, especially when, is- when when they're basically in the wild, and then um, a lot a lot of times they will be um, resting or just actively uh, residing on along the banks, right? Like near the banks of uh, uh, of a river or of a lake, and then these banks have fallen trees, have roots coming into the water, and then not a whole lot of vegetation actually, right? So uh, they would just kind of like in between, like just hang out in between the branches. And then sometimes like, you know, there's an- another thing about uh, discus that like uh, most people would think that they're a very calm water fish, right? Like they, they don't, they can't deal with currents and whatnot. But then that's actually not true too. Cause they like, they, they're, they're so widely uh, distributed you know in in the whole region so um some regions have very calm water they do fine some regions have you know quite quite a bit of current and they're also fine so they're very versatile and tough fish and if you look at their shape too i mean it's definitely very function specific obviously as all things in nature tend to be but Mm -hmm. um if i reflect on that i could see where that kind of that narrow 
broad but narrow shape, not unlike angelfish perhaps too, the, the ability to kind of get in between tight spaces of wood tangles and things like that is um, probably quite natural for them. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good point in terms yeah, of- Especially during the spawning season, right? Because like uh, they spawn in the high water and then, you know, like it's basically the top portion of the, the, the river is just branches, right? Trees, right? right? Trees with uh, tons of foliage and then they have to get into the crevices of like branches and like they want like a secure spawn site. So they really start finding the tightest- crevice to go through and then that's where the their body really just kind of like take advantage of you know that that type of uh, setting right and then um yeah so i i feel like you know um they, they, they'd, be, they'd be okay um living around you know some some semi-dense sure uh hardscape no it's a good point it actually that's yeah that gives me kind of a reflection on modifying that approach a little bit more and you know so i would tend to choose more kind of the bigger trunk kind of type pieces you know the thicker bodied pieces um but perhaps even a little more density in the hardscape would would benefit them but um on temperature where uh what what's your approach or philosophy on temperature and um, and, and do you see any yeah. issues with with plants being in warmer water if you're keeping the water warmer Right, so uh, the grotto is around eighty-three. So uh, I, I do warm. a little variation between eighty-three to 80, uh, eighty-two. So um, the plants definitely, I I gradually uh, I gradually adapted the plant to that high temperature. So I had it when I set just set up the tank. Uh, I had it at like seventy-five or so, and then over a month time, I gradually turn the heat up right and then um they most of them adapted okay right so like have like tons of job ferns in there like narrow leaf job ferns and then anubias are doing great um but i i do find that you know just moss just can't do it moss right. just can't deal with the high temperature yeah. and then uh Although I do have like terrestrial moss on um, like some of the wood that, that, that comes out of the water. Sure. There you go. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they, they do. Okay. Cause you know, they're yeah. not in the water and right. then, uh, booze, booze just, just cannot deal with like yeah. <laughs> high temperature at all. Uh, so I am actually thinking about, like I've been thinking about rescaping the grotto for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, like, with the whole logistics and like you sure. know, have to, like it's a huge planning, so I haven't got to it. But then I I want to actually um, try to see if I can do some type of uh, carpeting, like not like uh, carpeting in the aquascaping sense, right? Like the sure. traditional aquascaping sense, but more like maybe some growth of dwarf sedge on the bottom, so you can have like a a bottom that have some vegetations popping up instead of just, you know, like sand or, um, I, I use slates, right. I use slate stone or flagstones for my bottom. Right. And then I try to seal them. Like, so there's no, not like detritus that's going to go, go under. Yeah. So that, um, like, I, I, I feel like that can reach pretty good success because, 
you create this bottom where it's very natural, right? Like a lot of the river uh, settings, and then if you go see the bottom, it's not just sand, right? Like you have like rocks, layers of rocks popping up, and then there's sand, and then okay. there's some more rocks. So uh, a parts of it, like if you like stack the you know the flagstone or um, slaystone pretty well, and then have that exposed, right? In 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 part. And then have like you know light sand or like just a thin layer of sand covering the rest whatnot that creates like a pretty cool uh visual effect I like and it. um and i i'm thinking oh maybe i can like on top of that i can you know sparsely have some uh, dwarf sedge just covering you know parts of it and then it's not like a long type of uh, situation right right so that type of thing like i'm trying to see if i can actually uh actually do and uh i just don't like do you do you use co2 injection in your discus uh tanks i i have i i yes i always have i don't think i've ever done it without right um, because the plants uh need it so so i've heard that you know discus are not like they don't do well in co2 settings I like can, i, I can, heard that from Heiko actually but i can like, see that you... i can see that oh, okay i oh, mean really? as far as i think that may be why i because you brought up a good point about they really shouldn't be spooking or skittish too much when they're happy when they're you know and it's it can be something health related that's causing that and i would say that not not every time, but often I observed more of that skittish behavior tendency. Now, of course they would still have a big time feeding response because they, you know, they were not, it wasn't that extreme, but it was one more thing that was giving them an odd behavior. So you'd come to the aquarium and they would still practically come eat out of my hand over time, et cetera. But the wrong kind of entering the room in the wrong kind of way or certain people, certain yeah. other people, they would just walk up to the aquarium for no, yeah, yeah, yeah. without being, uh, you know, rushing up on it or anything, not tapping glass. And they would just, they would really freak out. Um, yeah. and that could, that, that does give me again, just more reflection on perhaps this, the CO2 is just adding a chemistry variable that they're not crazy about. I could totally see mm. that. Makes, so makes some uh, sense. yeah. So ha- I'm not using CO2 on, on the oh, grotto. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so that's why like all the ferns and everything, they sure. pretty much stay like that size. Like they, they reach a good size and then they just kind of stop growing, right? Yes. Except except for the uh, the narrow leaf kind of like they're still multiplying. But then just the other ones, they're like very slowly growing, but then they're healthy at the same time. They're just, you know, like very, very green. It's just right. they, they don't like explode in their growth. Yeah. Which yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't even want like that's actually yeah. helpful. That's helpful that they're not. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, that tank is so tall that like you know, I, I see Oliver, Oliver not like he has all these special tools, right? Like the really long yeah. uh, scissors and whatnot. Like for his large tanks, I'm like, man, I have to get some of the, those like really cool, yes, long tools. To and uh, Oliver's to- an interesting guy that you mentioned, Oliver, because uh, he's obviously done over the many years now he's got a couple of decades under his belt of very large scale mm-hmm. heavily planted mm. discus aquariums and so yep. a lot of people that would come you know as, from a customer or client uh level would have seen his videos and right. so 
So they reference their, his work. Yeah. Yeah. What's in their head is, is his work. And I had always thought that a huge advantage that he's had in the, you know, because sometimes there's, there's a lot of fish. I mean, he's, he's done some where like they are, it is packed with, I mean, there looks like there's 50 or more. I've seen, I've, fish yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. But I, and I think there could be something there in two variables. One, the huge volume of the tank. I mean, these are just big, big aquariums. These are five, 6,000 gallon, uh, you know, aquariums that then have huge groups um, that I think the large group like that, because when I've talked to him about it, he doesn't experience nearly as much of this hierarchical situation because there's probably mm. just, there's so many fish in there. Yeah. And, just a number. And he would have the video number. of him, him feeding and every single one of those fish is having a feeding response. It's not like there's a clear dominant group or hierarchy situation. So I think bigger, Bigger numbers could be something, but then obviously bigger numbers in a much larger aquarium. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that could get us into a better balance point with the amount of plants that we have in there and, and all that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, just an interesting. Yeah. You know, so for his setup, he's definitely injecting CO2, right? Like for his plants. So, you know, it's like. Um, but the big volume I mean, of water, I think things change in my experience over the years with large aquariums like you get over about that i'm picking a number but maybe 500 gallon range or so Mm -hmm. some of the dynamic shift i think it's why like mr amano's tank in his home uh which carries on to this day has always had a just a remarkable stability to it um and i remember seeing it you know it's been 10 years ago now but uh where in one of its iterations he even had the entire background was stem plants that they had grown from Wabikusa, Rotalas and Ludwigias. And they were, they had grown, they were clean all the way from the top of a five foot, you know, tall aquarium down to the bottom. You didn't have what they weren't leggy or any, I mean, in other words, it was something, it was really mind blowing. I mean that, that, Mm -hmm. but I always attributed that to just the dynamics you get into at the very large scale, um, Mm. which could be, part of what starts to come together for uh guys like you and me for at that at that client installation level you know as we if we kind of are for crafting a formula for greater predictability um kind of pulling together all these different areas heiko um our own observation and experience the conventional wisdom out there about discus uh looking at guys that get unique oppor- opportunities like oliver not uh, to do huge aquariums now, um, you know, kind of pulling all that together to develop something that's actually, uh, quite achievable and has a, as a degree of, of predictability to it that we, I think, as we said at the beginning, you and I both have some hesitations about, um, and then when another note I would say about Oliver's situation is that he is in Germany. And yep. Germany, there's a long history of a, just a lot of passion for discus and um, many of the world's top breeders, at, le- at least on the domestic fish side, but, you know, on the wild side also, because yeah. uh, year, years of importing fish, I've learned that uh, Germany uh, and then maybe second, secondly, maybe Japan are two markets that in there's certain fish, wild discus being one of them that really get 
a preferential treatment uh, mm. from a lot of the exporters that are, you know, they know that that's an established market and culture for discus and they can command a much higher price, to be honest. So some of the, like you spoke earlier to the quality of the fish going in, um, that is a thing that for yourself and, and me, you know, being in the U S with a different set of variables here, sometimes, um, we're, we look to what's going on in another part of the world in terms of what they're keeping and the success they're having. And I've always said that that can be a, a outcome of their specific resources and their, their variables, which are going to be very different from ours. Um, and that between their water, their experience, the fact that, uh, someone like Oliver may have a better occasion to go and get the fish from the importer straight away. You know, they've got the fish in, they've acclimated them specifically for him for a big project. And he's going and getting them from a, an amazing, uh, very strategic operation for discus and then taking them straight to his already very well calibrated, uh, uh, display or final layout situation for the fish and some, cause I'm looking in awe sometimes at the remarkable health, the numbers that they're able to do together. He did that. He did one not too long ago for uh, a client that was all wilds. I don't know if you caught that one, but. Uh, oh yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That was, that's a large tank. Very large tank. An amazing, stunning group of fish. Uh, have, haven't, I don't know if he circled back on that one and done any content too recently, but um, I think that one's out. It's in Europe, but outside of Germany, maybe not one he sees himself personally all that often, but you know, either way. Um, and I, I say this mostly to markets like the U S where again, we're, we're seeing what the whole world is doing and getting inspired by things that, and I tell it to customers wanting these kinds of tanks all the time that like, well, just remember that YouTube video, may have been taking place in a place that's got very different situation than you, different resources, different, just aquarium keeping culture, different water, all these things. So just, it's an important takeaway. And sometimes what we're trying to do, um, I think in that we're dealing with a different, uh, deck of cards here sometimes. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, there's that, that's definitely very reasonable. Uh, and, uh, uh, I, I feel like, you know, the way they approach uh, fish keeping in, you know, in a broad sense is just so different from us right. as well, right? They have like a long um, tradition of fish keeping. And then um, even the passion that like, you know, these people have for especially freshwater fish, right? Because like we have a huge passion for saltwater um, counterparts in the U.S. And then which, you know, um, that's really unique to us, right? Like, I don't, I don't see a huge, you know, like any market outside of the U.S. that have like such a dedication for saltwater fish keeping yeah. or and even reef, right? Uh, anywhere else, but then uh, in Germany, in Japan, I mean, now more and more so in China, um, the 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 passion for freshwater fish uh, is is just growing exponentially, and then. Uh, when you said, you know, these exporters and collectors that they like, you know, favor um, Germany and Japan. Now the number one player is China because they True. just, yeah. Well, I mean, like they, they just follow the money, right? And then right. whoever's the highest bidder, they'll just 
give them the preferential treatment. Sure. Yeah. So, so the environment definitely speaks a lot. And then um, I do feel like, you know, the variety of uh, even fish food, right? For example, like the tropical line, right? That have like all these dedicated food, right? Specific for discus or even specific for wild discus, right? Right. So they're able to come up with these products uh, shows, you know, how much uh, dedication they're, they're putting on this, you know, one type of fish. And then they're not trying to get just another skew on a pet smart chef, you know, it's a little bit more of the, of the struggle we have here sometimes. Right. Um, So, um, and a lot of the, uh, the science and the, you know, scientific rigor um, that goes into, you know, the fish keeping, and husbandry for 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 them it's just very different really good point really good point um so i saw too that you were uh, in a recent clip on your instagram that you were dosing the uh i'm pretty sure it was the brightwell product mm-hmm. but one of his, his uh, black water extract i think it was um and so that's something i've i've never never tried or used um i've always attributed those you know, a black water extract in a, in a plastic bottle in a fish store has been around since I can remember as like a little kid, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, what, what's your, do you, do you genuinely feel like that is helping? Is that something you can definitely observationally see a difference in? I do. I do. Okay. Yeah. So I was almost uh, going to say that I don't think it does anything, but I don't, I can't, I shouldn't say that because I, I haven't, I've never actually used a product like that. So I'm, I'm very curious your, your feedback on that. Yeah. Lose your first. Hey Jeff. There. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, are we back? Yeah. Yeah. We're back. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I've observed that. Yeah. Um, it, especially in their appetite. Yeah. So once I consistently, you know, um, those, this additive, basically, um, I find, you know, some of the fish that are not very, uh, like they, they, they don't eat very well, start to like accept other food. And then, um, more like, well, I started to really start consistently dosing this after a bacterial um, ordeal or like okay. bacterial infection uh, with a lot of the fish. And then they start having, you know, like losing scales and then um, like one even have like a hole, like, like hole in, in the head, right? Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, it developed like really quickly. And then I was uh, struggling to like course correct and like, you know, get, get them uh, healthy again. And then I was trying, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then, yeah, like once I started to uh, add this, like a, you know, um, they they imp- show a lot of improvement in their behavior, and then like the hole in the head start uh, actually closing. Wow! And then yeah, it's it's also um, the type of food that they're eating now that like I'm getting them a, a variety of food, so they're probably taking in more, uh, you know, um, vitamins. Right, so vitamins is a huge thing uh, yeah. that they, they need, and then also I'm dosing the um, the another Brightwell product that's called uh, Discus Code. So it's um, oh, yeah. just trace elements, right? Yep. Mainly trace elements, 
so I'm building these two, and uh, um, yeah, I I do see a difference, and then now I'm just sticking with it, right? Like I'm I'm dosing like twice a week, uh, and then I'm even thinking about like if I should use a dozer, right? Like uh, you know, just to have that consistent amount. It's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll experience with that, and then I'll experiment with that, and then um, report back. But um, yeah, the product works. Very cool. Good to know, actually, because I've I've unfortunately developed such a skepticism or a cynicism about oh, so many sure, problems. Yeah. Though I, I would say Brightwell, you know, is is always been a very research driven, very science based brand. Um, right. And uh, do you do you do you know? Chris Brightwell yourself by chance? Uh, he's no, okay. I, I don't. It's just v- very, uh, very impressive guy. Very okay, cool. Very science minded. I mean, there's. I've often joked uh, that the the description, the product descriptions, when you read the bottles, are extensive. I'm like, there's like, it's almost intimidating. There's so much information there, <laughs> which I think, which I think is great for a, a, a kind of a higher level product like that. But um, mm. yeah, if if you were going to be using one, I think I think you probably picked a, a good one in terms of uh, something that's going to be really the right tool for the job and not some brown water in a bottle and a fish store. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is- <laughs> I like actually Sumer recommended to me uh, a long okay. time ago. So I mean, yeah. like anything that guy says, like I would just kind of uh, almost trust it blindly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He was. Uh, he like said he he had made a visit to ADG uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And um, we have a display with that we're growing out some Ultima Angels in, uh, the big center mm. display in the gallery. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. I, 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 I see, and, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. And he, I guess he saw the chameleon cats in there that he's actually, he, you know, it's pretty obscure fish in general. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm breeding those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. He, his focus right now is was just uh, spawning these chameleon cats, which I was like, wow, only, only Samir would be like deep diving into something tricky like that. Have you, have you seen his video on like, he's using the little brush brush to help them, uh, the, the fries I come out the, their I eggs. Haven't. Oh yeah. Like that video blew up on Instagram. So like he wow. got like, I got to check it. Yeah. Of views yeah that. It's ne- next yeah. level, next level Aquarius for sure. You know? Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, like when he told me about like, you know how, because uh, these these fish, like the males, carry the eggs, and then like they have a they have a mustache essentially. That's right. Like, yeah. Well, it looks like a mustache, and then they carry all the the eggs on their mustache, and then since like they burrow in sand and everything, so the like the sand is very abrasive, right? So the egg has to be extra thick, so the fry actually can come out on their own without you know, the, the sand rubbing and whatever. So yeah. in a breeding environment where, you know, like uh, he's basically stripping the eggs and then having like uh, having the incubator, he has to be the one <laughs> that wow. like, you know, peels off the eggshell. So wow. the fries can come out. It's so interesting. Yeah. Have you ever uh, looked at or tried or thought about um, doing discus in a hardscape only situation? The reason I ask is because we actually do have a few uh, client installations right now that are very successful, um, mm-hmm. at least in terms of just long-term discus health. 
this year, not all, and I mean, I've not too long ago, I had posted a video of one client that's got wild discus in a hardscape. Um, and so, which he's, he's had his share of struggles too. He's fortunately mm. very, very dedicated. He's the, he's the right kind of client to do it, but, um, yeah. but mostly we have worked with more of the domestic fish, but, um, does, is that something that, because it's a, it's controversial in the sense that, uh, I get a lot of, I think it's kind of unfounded pushback. Uh, I think it's mostly because people want to see the green in there, but I'm not, I'm not totally convinced that it's that much of an asset for the discus themselves in particular. It may not be, it may not matter one way or the other. Um, it could be a benefit. I, I can't say conclusively that, you know, some Java fern and some Anubias and whatnot growing in there, we could arguably even, arguably even say Southeast Asian origin plants in a South American fishes environment, but all that, but that aside, uh, does that, do you have any thoughts on that approach? Because I can say we've had a lot more predictability by having fish in the hardscape only setting. We actually have a dedicated technician. Uh, he's been with mm -hmm. us for, I've lost track. He's been with us for a very long time. Uh, his name is Jared Kirby. Um, he's pretty active poster on Instagram and stuff too. Uh, and this guy's just a, he, he knows way more about fish in general and their environments and breeding and all this than, than certainly than I do. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, he just rolls his eyes every time he sees me attempting another discus planted tank. And he just says, you know, those fish need to be in a hardscape. Um, and that's just from a guy who's out there week in and week out maintaining mm -hmm. some, you know, impressive large scale discus hardscapes in client homes where obviously- why, why, why does he say that? Um, he just feels like it's just, it's variable control. I think more than anything, mm -hmm. the ability to do the, just, there's no regard for the, for well-being of plants, which in, in your case, I think you've made a very wise decision. You've, you've taken a very thoughtful approach in no CO2, I think is, is, I think that's a, I think you're on to something there and skipping the CO2. Um, and then two, you know, choosing plants that are just going to have a more measure measured growth, not likely to get out of control, uh, this kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, so I don't, I don't think there's not a, there's, there's a there there with, with, especially with the way you're doing it. But, um, I think it's mostly a variable control. I think it's a, an ability to feed more heavily, more freely, um, but some of that too could come from our expectation. It's why it's kind of an interesting question to me because I think it may come from our expectation of the lush plant growth and like if we're going to have plants in there, we want a certain impact from the plants too. Um, and we're often not patient enough with the no CO2 setups and things like that. So it's he, his saying that it's be, they, they're better in a hardscape could just speak to their better in that he as a, as a technician can control the variables that, that much more. And there's no breakdown and just, just no contribution or, or need to care for plants, um, mm -hmm. in, in the layout. And so, um, and we can aerate the water much more heavily than not that you can't do that in no CO2, but, uh, I think, you know, being able to have, a high, more highly oxygenated thing, um, all of that, 
uh, I don't know. It's something too. I think sometimes the pushback comes because we want to see plants in there so bad. And I agree. They, they definitely, obviously it adds an element. You know, I had a hardscape, just hardscape with my funny little goldfish tank, uh, here in my office. And, um, man, the minute I just took some mother pot, Anubias, and added them in back behind the rocks. I just keep them in the pots, you know, I don't even take them yeah, out sure. and just, just kind of, there's no doubt about it, man. It, it added such a warmth and such a, such a feeling that, uh, I totally get it. You know, I just, I treat hardscape or what we, you know, kind of the hardscape only style as a style unto itself. And so it's not something I look at and go, well, where's the plants or there should be plants in there, which is a normal pushback comment on a, on a post of a hardscape only kind of tank. Uh, and I kind of go, well, no, it's, I mean, that's, if that's like saying, well, how come you didn't put the, where's, you're looking at a reef tank going, well, where's the, where's the guppies? It's like, well, no, it's, we don't put those in there. That's a, it's a style unto itself that I think has a, there is a nod to a natural yeah. setting for discus too, because as you uh, presumably observed in, in an exped, expedition with Heiko and just knowing about their natural environment. And you haven't attempted to make a, you know, a carpeted, complete aquascape underwater garden for, you know, that's not practical either in terms of balancing fish and plants uh, with discus, but uh, where they would be in the wild would often not be a, a, a lushly planted place with a carpet of hair grass. And, you know, yeah. Usually kind of, no plants. Right. Exactly. So that's yeah, where I kind of go, well, hold no up, plants. you know, yeah. isn't, isn't, a, aquatic isn't plants, a hardscape? Full, yeah. Cause fully aquatic plants are very rarely found in, um, you know, That's right. natural That's water, right. waters, water bodies. So the water body that they reside in actually don't have any plants. Like That's what I've always wondered. Like why the, why the hesitation to really explore the possibilities of the discus hardscape aquarium, which seems to get closer to, to biotope type conditions. And yet we just, and it's, it's, we just insist it on putting the plants in there. And if you don't have plants, you're not going to get as many likes and subscribers. And the, the plant, the plant obsessed Aquarists who can't even seem to acknowledge that there's a style in which we don't have plants in a freshwater yeah. aquarium, um, you know, treat it like it's less than, and I'm saying, well, wait, this is still a totally natural aquarium style. And in many cases is more of a nod to how the fish would be found in the wild. Yeah, so, you, you just don't want to argue with the, you know, the general public on this because, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like... I do. Uh, I do. <laughs> yeah, so a, a lot of times, like a lot of uh, these, um, if you do like great work, let's say, like you do like a, uh, a very exquisite scape or artwork, right? It doesn't go viral at all. Like it won't. It just won't. Because you know the general public's taste is not that high. Like uh, you know, in terms of expertise, not everybody is gonna have that the same of level of ex- expertise. But then if you have like just a tank full of duckweed, and all of a sudden like you get like millions of views, right? So um, it's it's just the you know the the acceptance of the general public's interest that like you know it's just not built for viral material and then okay so <laughs> which which brings me to uh, to actually doubt myself like in terms of like the grotto because the grotto received so much 
you know like nice comments and like you know like attention and i'm like oh crap like is the grotto actually not that good and that, is that why, <laughs> <laughs> why it's going viral yeah so no, I, I I, it's good i i would worry about I, but I, I know what you mean though and it's a very astute point um and that one that you know just as somebody that puts out a lot of different aquarium styles and and kind of covers a lot of ground uh to get a confirmation from someone like you who has a real good sense when you look at an aquarium on social media, et cetera, you have a, I would say, uniquely calibrated perception of what you're looking at. Uh, you can, you, you can instantly know the variables and I mean, you just have a, a deeper sense of it cause you, you know, you're a professional. Um, and so I think it's a good point that, uh, you know, it, and I, I think I'm starting to come across in these podcasts like I might be insecure or worried about this stuff. I wouldn't call it that so much, but I do. You long for a way to to uh, engage in other styles and to do. I love aquariums. I'm always saying this. You know, I love all. I I keep reef tanks mm-hmm. and uh, goldfish, and I love live bears and cichlids, and I just you know I have an appreciation for all of it. The discus planted tank, pure high level competition level aquascaping, you know, all of it, growing SPS coral, et cetera. So in an age where uh, everything is a little more niche oriented, or, or again, I love how you just put it about things, what what stands to go viral uh, is might not uh, be, don't get too caught up in that, I think is sort of the, is sort of the takeaway of it. Yeah. And, and the, the, the darndest things can go viral. I think the reason your tank has done so well and been so widely received is, um, you know, it's an impressive sort of viewing window, you know, the height and everything else just gives a, gives a nice impact that the standard panoramic or rectangular stretched out tank doesn't. So that's cool. I think that dimension plays to discus shape very well too, too. So when you see that image, let's face it, predominantly on our smartphones, um, in terms of what's posted on Instagram, you know, it, it works. It fills the frame in a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't look compressed. Uh, and you've got the green is in there, you know? And so that's, that's a, it's the nature of the origins of this conversation in the first place. It's a mighty combination. There's something so alluring about the discus and, and the, and what we love about the green and the aquarium. You're kind of bringing two things together that I guess that's my point in some way is that Yes, we're bringing them together in a way that's, you know, there's no Java fern where the discus are found in the wild. And I'm not a hard biotope guy by any stretch, right? And that's why I think I just love a beautiful aquarium. I don't care if the fish and the plants are from two different places, hardly at all. Um, but more of a curiosity, I guess, from someone I, I who's feel like in the, you're in the position to, to do this for a living in a way that there's other modes of doing it that are, trust me, way more of a business model than mm-hmm. discus and plants in the client situation. And yet I wonder like the, the discus hardscape is still, maybe it's just that I don't see it go viral. You may have a very profound point about that. It's like, oh, many people do it and they love it and it's out there, but it doesn't have the propensity to be in my feed as much. The algorithm hasn't determined it to be as favorable. Yeah, um, I, I, I just think there's definitely a place for hardscape only 
right? And um, for especially with a lot of fish that are um, vegetarian, sure, right? So yeah, like for example, like panda waru or like any type of waru actually, and like or uh, you know, a lot of uh, like there's a ton of fish that will just chew your plants up, so you can't really have. Real plants, right? Uh, if even if you wanted to, with those fish, so so the hardscape only uh, is definitely there's place for it, and then um, it's just that not everybody wants to see like uh, hardscape only, and then um, especially for somebody who actually don't know that much about you know like natural water bodies and uh, uh, like how like you know about fish, so they don't. They to them they're like okay is is it like a little incomplete right because like why right. don't you have plants but it, and in the artistic sense and in the um uh aquarium you know hobby uh, like from a hobbyist standpoint I totally feel like uh hardscape only is is a very impactful type of uh, um scape style to have. And then, especially the way that a lot of, you know, uh, the hardscape only setups you guys have done, uh, especially pairing up with the like backlit, you know, uh, background, it's yeah, visually very impactful. And then, well, thank you. Um, yeah, there's definitely a place for it. And then I've 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 been wanting to do some um, of, you know, something similar, right? Like in terms of visual uh, uh, results, but uh, it just depends on you know like if the clients wants something uh, you know sure like if they of agree course. with you whatever yeah right it and it's two worlds that don't often uh really co-mingle that much what what makes sense uh for people like us who you know are doing this in a client installation situation and we're doing it for you know that's how that's our livelihood that's our business uh has a different, it's going to play different in the audiences and the the tribes and the followings that we show certain kinds of things online to. That's why, you know, we, we do a lot of things that we don't ever really show and probably, probably just should go ahead and do it. But, you know, we, we don't, because I feel like the, the audience sometimes has been sort of acclimated to a certain expectation, um, that, you know, I mean, you, you've certainly seen the popularity of the grotto tank such that I'm sure you've got a lot of other content out there, but you, you know, that there's, this is what people want to see. And that's why, that's why we do stuff in a certain kind of way on social media. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's not a, that's not even a critique or any such thing. It's just like, well, it's just, natural to do more of what's working you know but yeah exactly. it's kind of a digression I'm, I'm i'm sure to our listeners it's not a terribly yeah. uh, compelling topic <laughs> and stuff like stuff like you guys like you and i could probably sit and stew on that for a long time well but the but the thing is like you know uh, our content is being shared on instagram and uh, other social media platforms and these uh social media platforms especially instagram it's just very um uh, they're incentivizing, you know, these uh, contents that are like fast food, right? And right. uh, it's like um, when it comes to quality, maybe you know, you, you, like quality is a very secondary thing 
to consider in terms of like um, uh, how, how, how you want to be successful on these social media platforms. And then Instagram, like right now, it's, you know, only encouraging videos and then uh, very short content that's like super easily digestible. Yeah. And then you don't want to go into any depth in terms of artistics, uh, you know, or uh, design. And then uh, it's really like uh, something like in your face, you like you see it and then it has shock value, all, all of that. So those are incentives that are, you know, like negatively um, encouraging content creators to like spend a lot of time trying to create like, or even just artists trying to show off like, you know, their, their artwork. Uh, and then if you want to be more successful on, you know, social media content, you really just have to nail down two things. One is high output, right? So it's like right now, especially with the algorithm, how they're evolving, that they're like kind of uh, trying to replicate, you know, the TikTok model where, you know, it's right. very democratized and very, uh, they, they want to randomize, you know, the the exposure of content. So like, obviously, the more you you put out the more chance of you winning that lottery right uh to hit that um you know viral uh exposure and then the other thing is like consistency right so that that goes hand in hand with high output and then yeah so uh something quick something you know eye-catching like that like would be uh ideal not a good place it's not a good place to sit and have to uh explain it's not long format, that's for sure. So there's no chance not to really long, explain no. why you did something in a certain kind of way. And and we've all learned the, the comment section's not not the not the place for that either. Uh, it just doesn't work. It that doesn't it becomes this very sort of tit for tat, back and forth kind of thing. You I very seldom will have somebody give pushback to something. I'll kind of state the reason why it is the way it is. Uh, in some defense of why why it's been done that way, and there's almost never a circling back where where that same commenter goes, "Oh, okay, I oh I see what you meant now. All right, you know that's just that's not the game." So no, that's yeah, very... I miss the forum days because uh, uh, right. forums is a place where you know you really want like accumulate knowledge and then you can actually learn, right? Like it goes into a a, a depth where. Um, you know, knowledge are accumulated and the answers are being, uh, questions are being answered and you can actually find find the answers to answer, you know, your own questions and whatnot. And then instead of like social media, it's more like just a comment and then more of just some some people leaving, you know, like a very quick feedback that they're feeling in that moment. And then like, do they actually care? No. Do they actually want to find the answers? No, right? And then right. They move on. And then they're bombarded with the information anyway, so they don't, they don't even have the bandwidth to go back to you know your reply and like just see like oh okay yeah like follow up with more questions and whatnot. It's just that's, sure not a, it does it gives it uh, it does make me I do have concerns sometimes maybe this aquarium philosophy for lack of a better way to put it kind of maybe isn't having its best day there as far as uh, that being where people are learning about it or whatever, but yeah, it is what it is. It's not, yeah, it's we, we could, thing, right? it has its own yeah. place. For example, like right. it's, uh, building a lot more exposure to our hobbies. So like for sure, you know, new, 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 new people, new blood are finding it and then getting interested in the hobby. So like, you know, it, it has its place. 
And then, yeah. like, so I just tell my followers, like, if you want to really learn and get into the hobby and be successful at keeping fish and then, you know, go that extra uh, step. Uh, there you go. I like you, that. You go to the forums. But then, I like you that. know, yeah, if you're, like, you're just looking for entertainment, yeah, social media is pretty entertaining. Right. Or that's a good, it can be, it's a good point of inspiration or point of entry. Oh, yeah, for sure. But yeah. I, I think that's a great, that's a great sort of narrative to keep by what you're saying there of like, uh, yeah, if, if this has inspired you, let me, let me, let me point you to some places where you could take it further. That that's, that's a great, that's a great approach actually, um, for sure. So, uh, so yeah, before we wrap it up here, uh, could you give me just a brief synopsis of the, uh, sequence with Heiko and what led up to, uh, something okay, I, yeah, sure. I, I've wanted to, I wanted to do for 20 years. Let's <laughs> go, go out with him. Uh, you gotta do it soon, man. The man's not getting any younger. I know, I know. Amazing, he's still out there at his age. I'm, I'm blown away. He's, he's out there traipsing through, through, through the jungle. Yeah, it's, it is. He's incredible. a legend. So uh, yeah. we met actually at uh, CIPS uh, in China. Yep. In yep. 2018, I want to say. And then okay. uh, I actually didn't know about him, bef- like you know, very, uh, before meeting him, or not 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 long before meeting him. So yeah, uh, I actually found out about him in the. Uh, from the book uh, Dragon Behind the Glass. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Then you end up going, wow, Rummy Nose Tetra, uh, Amazon Sword. You know, I mean, some I'm of like, these, what? you know, like, the, bla- like, the Blair Eye and the name of the scientific. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, wow, like I really want to meet, meet him. And then uh, yeah. I was going to CIPS and then I found out, oh, wow, like he, he's actually doing, uh, like he's he has a booth and he's judging like the biotope um, contest and everything. So I went up to him and then, uh, you know, like he needed like a translator. I'm like, I'm fluent in Chinese. So uh, he needed a translator. Like, so I was like the best person to help him out. And through that, like, you know, interactions and whatnot. And then he uh, eventually, like after the show, he actually uh, reached out to invite me onto like one of uh, the exhibitions. And then I was like, man, this is like a li- once in a lifetime type of uh, experience. I have to go. So, you know, I <laughs> like kind of like begged my wife to for, you know, like right. letting me go. And then like it was a birthday gift for me. So did you have to get like all the, did you have to get like different inoculations, vaccinations to be able to go uh, and get that's it? That's what did I thought. You- and then uh, I checked with Heiko and he's like, no, like where we're going, you know, like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Man, it's safe. Black water. So like, you okay. don't hate acidic water. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. So like, we're not even, going- no. <laughs> okay. <was> a lie. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, I think you, you weren't fearful of your, of your, that you weren't overly fearful of your, just your well being going down into this, you know, tropical uh, areas. I, yeah, the... I had my concerns, but then okay. <laughs> uh, my concerns turned out to be just very... Uh, Nor- normal anxiety about the unknown. Unnecessary, actually, because, yeah, sure. in the, like on our expedition, you know, like it was really safe. Like we hardly saw any wildlife, actually, which was really sad because uh, yeah. the part of the, the river that we, we, we were exploring, um, there's like native tribes, you know, dotted along all alongside of the river. So 
you know, over hunting, and then like there were even illegal mining on the river. So yeah, a lot sure. of that like contributed to you know lack of wildlife. And then um, versus, I've heard that like uh, in Brazil, you know, like the environment is protected and the regulations are more firm. So uh, the wildlife is more abundant. Abundant. It could also be because that like is more downstream. So um, uh, I'm not too sure, but uh when i when we went right and then like i initially had all these concerns i'm like ah oh, like try to get shots and all that like heiko basically is very cavalier in terms of like those kind of things yeah or because he basically grew up in the jungle so oh um, yeah most of his like, life he's been oh, you don't you don't need any of that like just come That's and cool. then i'm like okay and then sure enough like i got there and then like just tons of mosquitoes like because we're not in the blackwater region all the time and then so yeah. like everything like you know you're not in like a just purely black water setting like there's there's gonna be mosquitoes the good thing i brought like you know very strong uh you know insect repellents and whatnot right but um one interesting thing uh about that trip is like so we, we got onto the river and then Heiko just like you know jumped in and for a swim and then he uh, he drinks the black water straight out from the, the river, the, the wow. black water part. And cool. then I'm like, can you do that? Like, is that safe? Like, you're going to get, like, paratized and whatnot? Like, do, like, well, like, in my mind, I was thinking that, right? Obviously, I didn't say that to Heiko. And then uh, I just asked him, like, is that, is that, like, can I do it? And then he's like, yeah, like, that's the best water, the cleanest water in the world. Wow. And I was like, mm, yeah, I'm I'm just going to stick with the, you know, bottled water that we carry. Right. Then, Michael may have an adapted gut biome for this right, thing after exactly. all the decades. Then, but, but the thing is, at the end of the seven days, right, like, we actually ran out of the water that we, that we brought, right? Okay. So, um every time we want to drink water, we have to like get the water from the river and boil it and then, and then drink it. And then imagine it's like kind of hot and then you don't want to like drink hot water. Right. So right. by the end of it, I was just like, fuck it. Like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna drink. Like the, the guy's like, you know, I'm thirsty man. Than I am. And he's yeah. like freaking like 80 years old. And then I'm like, yeah. I'm just gonna try it. I drank the black water. And it was the best tasting water I've wow. ever tasted. Like I've wow. tasted like, you know, um uh, mountain spring water, right? Like in Yosemite. Sure. And then those are like sure. some pristine mountain like snow melt, right? But then it just non-comparable. Like the water wow. was so good tasting that uh, it could be that, like, I was thirsty at the time as well. Right. <laughs> I mean, but you're like a week and you say about a week, you're like a week in at this point. Yeah. You're yeah, out yeah, there yeah. for a week. Yeah, and then yeah, so I tasted it. It was it was really good. I actually carried a bottle with me, like of it, just like to keep on drinking it. And then uh, after I came back from the trip, I was like, mm, like better, you know, check out if like I have any parasites in my in my stomach or whatever. And then it turned out I, I was just fine. Like it was completely fine. That's cool. This could be the hot new uh, bottled water trend next oh, to the, man. You got the, Fi- the Fiji water and then you got oh, the, wow. you got hey, the, Jeff, you Hey were, man, we're on this bottled water yeah, industry yeah, is uh, like, out of control, but yeah, that's that could the real be the... black water. You remember like there's a, there was a bottle of water that's called black water. I, I never saw that one. That. Like there, I never yeah, saw there that. There used one. to be one that's like okay. the water is actually black, right? It's like kind of look kind of nasty, whatever, but yeah, uh, but that's the fake black water, right? This is like that. Okay. Actually. The real, real deal, you know, it could be yeah. a thing, but, uh, 
No, that's really cool. You're out there. Oh, oh you say uh, when you you guys like out there for a week in the jungle, like in the are Complete you jungle, sleeping yeah. in a we yeah we basically pitching a tent or oh yeah oh yeah so we we basically flew into Bogota and then uh you know like took a took a car ride to like a little town like well not a little town but like a smaller town called Vela Vincencio and then took a World War Two era plane right twin propeller wow. plane that's called DC three and then it's like half cargo half passenger like you're just sitting in the jump seat facing like all the luggages and whatnot wow. right that's like strapped with a cargo net and then the cockpit basically like the doors open and then the pilot was like just so welcoming like i I got in and out in and out like i was you know filming everything with my gopro and like 360 camera and then i even like stuck out my 360 camera out of the like cockpit window to you know like, and then the cock the, the the pilot was like so chill and yeah and we, we flew to this uh port town uh, on the river uh it's called uh porto inirida so it's on the real inirida which is a pretty big uh river and then it it's it's ba- it basically meets uh i think orinoco uh atapapo or no no atapapo yeah like it meets atapapo and then so that's a really good spot to collect uh autumns okay yeah so they uh we visit visited the the uh, fishery there like you know the um the farms and whatnot for autumns and it was really impressive right and wow. then so when we go into the when we went into the river uh we started going upstream uh we actually went up river for like over 200 miles i think yeah on like this raw steel boat right that says like wow. eight max and with the just a single propeller engine in, in the back and then we had to you know go over five rapids each way right so 10 in total and then uh every time we go over a rapid we have to like you know empty out the, the boat right like you know remove the the, the engine and everything and drag the boat uh, over <laughs> the rapid ancient egyptian style with like logs wow. right like rolling on the bottom and then uh some some rapids will have like they're, they're locals uh to help us out but some of them like they just, nobody come to our rescue and then we just have to do it ourselves yeah it was quite a journey and then by the f- day five we <laughs> heiko hired this um boatman who doesn't know how to fish which is like the first time he's ever encountered that situation so he's like just a just a bowman he, he doesn't fish and then uh so we ran out of food by day five and then we have to okay. buy food from the local and which was just like it, it was the food was very disgusting uh, the, okay um, okay it was yeah it, it was so bad. you had and been you the boat operator would also be catching fish that you would eat would be part of how you would usually it's to that point. yeah usually they're, they're they're also fishermen so they'll uh, catch the fish that we will will eat as well but wow. then yeah okay. in this case like he was just a bowman and then he actually asked us for food and <laughs> we're like oh man like yeah so we ran Uh-oh. out of food by day five uh, and then um uh, why do we, i picture heiko no matter what how disgusting the food looks he's just eating it down like it's no big deal i don't know it just seems oh, yeah. like he I would mean, eat like, he, he would eat anything really like sure. he, he, he's seen it all and then oh, yeah. uh so we reached the waterfall that we wanted to go uh explore uh by like day 
four and then um the waterfall is like this one like really unique black water waterfall right so the waterfall is like 30 meters tall and then very big for what especially black water and then uh the chief like of a tribe like the tribe's chief yeah um who was in charge of that region had had to bring us in there because um we have to navigate through like these like very small they call uh canoe can canoes so like they're basically like channels right and then mm-hmm. so we we get in uh with the chief and then he was asking Heiko like what you know we're, we we want to do there and then Heiko was like oh yeah we want to try to find some fish like on, uh, under the waterfall and the chief just laughed at him he's like no there's no fish under the waterfall like it, don't don't even waste your time whatever and then we, sure enough we found you know all kinds of like different flat goats and whatnot under the waterfall and the chief was actually kind of uh, surprised he's like wow right. <laughs> we didn't know those <laughs> were there but yeah. been here for five thousand years i've never known those were there <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome man what it's, that, pretty, uh, it's a great trip what an experience yeah and just as you were telling it in i had just a very cool you have to go visual like, picture you, playing you oh yeah no i know yeah, it's not know. like he's been bothering me to do it for a long time i've just uh, yeah but yeah, knowing you he, don't got to go, you know, he could take you someplace where it's not especially dangerous or you're not. Uh, uh, oh, they're know. definitely dangerous, but there's it's danger. Not, no, there's no good. There's no escaping of, the danger. But, you know, well, um, it's not the sense of danger that you think of. So, like, when before the trip, I thought, like, the dangers would be like, you know, the caimans, the the, the anacondas and, then, um, you know, like poison this like venomous spiders and whatnot and so like those kind of stuff right and then like right like um virus and whatnot so right none right. of those the danger okay. was actually in for example um uh, during the boat right like during the boat right we actually uh uh breached onto a huge rock that's just in the middle of the river like the river is like uh almost like half a half a mile wide right it's a really wide river, and then we were traveling, you know, in the middle of it, and right. all of a sudden there's a rock that's like two, just below the surface, like two or three inches below the surface, and the boat just right. ram onto that rock because can't like we, we can't see it, Good. and then yeah. uh, like had us, you know, had it like go any further onto the rock, we'll have like hit the propeller right and break the engine, and then we'll get stranded. All the right. equipment could have like the boat could have capsized and like we just you know um, all get into the river. Um, you know, drowning could be a possibility, but then sure. you know all the equipments surely would have been lost and whatever. And then we will have to wait for the government or like you know the officials to rescue us out of that situation. So that's a danger. And then also the the the, the plane that we took, right? The, the World War Two aeroplane. So uh, this is not Heiko some was, FAA regulated stuff here. This is uh, <laughs> Heiko was assuring me that it's the safest aircraft, in, like right. you know, in the history uh, of aviation. And then, okay. like, not even two weeks after I, ca- I got back into LA, like my one of the um, the teammates from the expedition sent me sent me this a news article. And then it's, uh, uh, I think it was, it was from Peru or um, Colombia, I forgot. But then one of these planes went down and all the passengers died. Like just two, not even two weeks after 
same same know, model and everything a plane you were in had model, been on no. same yeah model. the heiko's proclaimed safest plane on the planet it's you yeah. know it, it can happen <laughs> but man wow wow Definitely take a grain of salt with that amazing amazing man well mark it's been a great conversation man really thank you, uh, thank you. as usual it's it's gone longer than i planned i always say this in these podcasts but I mean, I just love, I love the conversation. Uh, I, I find your insights on this vital style, uh, too, from the grotto tank, um, I think is just a wealth of great information there and, um, really admire everything you're doing and, uh, glad you, we got to know, know each other in this conversation too, man. And, uh, look forward to collaborating and working with you any way that we can going forward. Looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, I've been, like I said, great admirer of ADG for a long time. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I feel like a visit is long overdue and I'll, yeah. you know, definitely try my best to, um, you know, make it to you guys um, in the coming year. Awesome. Please do, Mark. Seriously, please do. We'd love to have you. Um, cool. Again, thanks so much and uh, look forward to talking to you again. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Okay, bye.